everybody. All right. Um, welcome to the uh, Texas Real Estate Finance Podcast. My name is Mike Mills with Barry Mortgage. Um, uh, today's show is going to be a lot of fun because um, this is a topic I've been kind of digging around to try to find uh, a couple guys to be on with me to talk about appraisals because in my world of real estate, um, appraisals between realtors and lenders and everybody involved in our industry is always a big hot topic. And there's a lot of mysteries around it. I think you know, there shouldn't be, but there is. So um, I'm bringing in two guys with me today, um, Mr. Josh Stevens and Mr. Chris Green. I even got production. See? Oh, wow. I know. I wow, know. they're going wild for yes, us, bro. You guys are, are, are amazing. Oh, so uh, thank you, fellas. I appreciate yes, y'all coming in and joining me. Um, I know you took a little trek. Y'all are actually based in Dallas. Is that right? Yeah, we're, we got also uh, an office in Frisco. Okay. So over by the Star and Hall Park. And gotcha. then we've got offices uh, in Austin, in, in North Austin. Austin, kind of by the Lake Line area. Well, I appreciate you coming down into Texas um, and coming to see me here in Mansfield. So thank you very much for that. Um, well, first to get started, um, I want to ask you guys just a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of tell everybody a little bit about your company, um, what you guys actually do. Um, you know, everybody, I don't think everybody understands there's different structures to how appraisers work. Some of them are individual, some of them are in groups. So give a little context to, you know, what your company, how your company is structured and what you guys do exactly. Yeah. So most, uh, most people in the marketplace, if you're an appraiser, you're probably, uh, you know, one man shop usually maybe there's three at the most uh it's usually you and maybe your son or your aunt or someone in your family there's a lot of nepotism and appraising okay um that's not our firm um mm -hmm. we are actually uh probably a medium-sized firm we're a little staff of about 25 a little over that um, we do a few hundred appraisals per week wow. uh, all throughout north texas and okay. central texas um, there's a lot of different ways that people structure the appraisal business and what we found for us is none of those ways uh, work they, okay. yeah. they did not work for our people. Um, and so the way that we've done it is try to make wildly successful opportunities for people where okay. uh, they're paid very handsomely, a lucrative career with people from diverse backgrounds mm -hmm. um, that don't maybe look just like me or just like Chris, but um, are maybe different ethnically diverse or gender you know, diverse or whatnot. Sure. And so that has worked really well for us. We actually met in, well, where, where do we meet? Where was that place at? We're on a winning streak, uh, the rooms of recovery. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of actually the founding folks were all church going dudes. Okay. That we're mm -hmm. not batting a hundred. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. it's very interesting how that's panned out because, uh, we all individually have like our own talents, Okay, but then just put together, it was a really, uh, it was neat to see how this thing has taken off. That's so cool. I always joke, I'm like, if you go into our office to impress somebody, probably not the right spot to do right. it. Yeah. You know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. dude. Where did I see you at? Or right. like, where did I find you yep. at? Yeah. Um, but for our culture, that works out really well. Um, and then as Joshua mentioned too, when you look at the industry and you look at like all the turnover, it's like, I, and I get asked this all the time, like how, uh, uh, how, uh, like, how, how do you stop your trainees from leaving? And there's this big fear mentality. Right. And I'm, it's always like, well, create something for them that they don't want to leave. Right. You know, or how could you afford to pay them that much? In my yep. first mind, I'm thinking like, crap, how do I pay them more? You know, right. how do you, pre how do you create wild opportunities for families that we can work well Monday through Friday and rest well with our families? So that's really been our mindset. And we've been doing this almost three years. I mean, yeah, I've been appraising for a lot 
longer than that, mm-hmm. but just three years. So With company. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. So we're going to continue to grow. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to try to bring on another 10 by the end of the year yeah. and launch another office. Well, it sounds like a really unique model just because, you know, from my personal experience in dealing with appraisers, you know, I know, like you said, it's, it's either a mom and pop mom shop and pop. where yep. it's an individual and his family or, or whatever the case, maybe they have one extra appraiser that's in it, or, um, we get to deal with our, our favorite three letter word, uh, the AMCs mm. and the AMCs. And you can help me clarify this a little bit from what I understand how they're structured is you, you have a, uh, let's call it an overlord <laughs> that, uh, that's, that's kind. new, that's, that's very kind of you. Yes. Well, yes. How kind of you to put it that way? Yeah, that's a new one. <laughs> very sweet of you. Like that that has overlord. individual appraisers that are yeah. self-employed. Essentially. They're almost like, I would imagine there are maybe 1099 employees in that kind of a situation. Yeah. yeah so usually the way that it works is, is if, whether it is uh, an AMC or it's a firm model, sometimes it's a network of independently managed appraisers. Gotcha. That's usually what it is. So gotcha. they are 1099s. Yeah. It's a gig economy. They just sign up. They uh, The lowest bid or the fastest right. turnaround time, that's right. kind of what wins those orders and whatnot. Yeah. Typically, it's like an Uber driver for appraisers. Basically. Exactly. Right. exactly. Yeah. You're exactly right. That's a, man, and that's it's not good. necessarily yeah. the, like, the, the truth is, is the really good appraisers, like the really like awesome ones yeah. typically, they're not usually working with AMCs. Right. Because they don't have to. They don't have to. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not saying that like just because you work with the AMC that you're a lower tier appraiser. That's yeah. absolutely not. You could not be true. new. You could be brand new. You could new. be you new. It, it could be the market has shifted. Yeah. Maybe you got to supplement your income. Yeah. There's a variety of different types of business you could get into. You could diversify, work in, you know, real estate or estate mm-hmm. planning, divorce, you know, all that as well. But generally speaking, you know, in our industry, the AMCs are usually referred to as, you know, low cost leaders. Right. You know, those yeah. are the people looking for the to get the most work at the least fee, the fastest, yeah. the quickest, cheapest, fastest. Well, it's the least fee to the appraiser. But um, when you look at what a borrower t- pays down the line because of the AMC's fee, it's usually uh, the same, if not a little bit more expensive in most cases, correct? Yeah, I mean, it, it's wild. So, you know, we, we have quite a Rolodex of clients and uh, we've been doing this for quite some time. I know hundreds of structures across different AMCs. Right. And I can tell you, I've seen anywhere from $150 per appraisal all the way up to $600 per appraisal. And that's just to the AMC, not the appraisers. Fee. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That's just to the AMC itself. Yep. I've never seen $150 appraisers appraisal. So let me, let me know where I'm those not gonna, are. I'm not, no way. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hide that sucker. <laughs> Golly. Um, no, true. Shout out true union. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, so, okay. So tell me then, uh, how we talked about this briefly before you guys came or before we started going live here, but um, I just want to ch- chat about it again. Um, so when the market was running hot and we had, um, you know, interest rates were two and 3%, everybody on the oh, planet yeah. was buying homes, refinancing, all that stuff was going down. Well, um, the pool of appraisers from the time it went from a normal market to till we exploded, you know, stayed relatively the same because, you know, it, whether you've got, 10,000 loans in a market or 3,000 loans in the market, if it changes overnight, the pool of appraisers isn't going to grow with that immediately. So exactly. tell everybody a little bit about what it actually takes to become an appraiser, what you have to go through and what the timeline looks on something like that. Oh, man. Well, first, you have to sell your soul to, uh, to the devil. Okay. That is the first thing you have to do. <laughs> yep. Uh, Chris, man, dude, you did this over a decade ago. Tell me about your so, experience. Like, over a, so I'm Iowa guy. I've been doing this okay. yeah, for over 10 years. Okay. Um, got certified in uh, yeah, Iowa. Um, I think at that time it was like three years and like, I don't even know how many thousands of hours. And oh. I remember I was, cause I joke about this. Yeah. 
I was six months into that sucker before somebody even told me, Hey man, your time doesn't start until you uh, actually take these classes. And I'm like, are you, I mean, this is a different time, a different, um, so there were just hours and hours and classes. And even in that state, it was, um, you had to go in front of a board and just crazy things. Um, now, uh, especially since the last several years when we came up with such a shortage, which in my opinion, I, the alleged shortage. Yeah. I, 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 I think we came up. Yeah. You had these appraisal numbers that were increasing and you had appraisers that just, you know, couldn't keep up with it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. And it wasn't like something that happened overnight in, in our minds, as we look at what we're trying to do, it's like creating that next generation of appraisers. Um, so we don't have that again. And right. like quality. So um, like with our firm model, we're not necessarily just going out and hiring appraisers. It's right. like we're creating new appraisers. So what does that look like in the state of Texas? You've got, I think it's several thousand hours. Um, we have to log everything. Texas is unique uh, in relation to Iowa. Iowa, you just went from trainee to certified. Okay. Texas allows you the ability in six months, no less than six months time where you can go from trainee to licensed. Okay. And license, then they would roll off the, uh, like, like I'm a supervisory appraiser. So you'd have to work under, it's like an apprenticeship. Yes, almost. Yes, yes. No, so no, they, no, they would, license still rolls solo dolo. You just can't yeah, do, license you can still only rolls do conventional. Oh, gotcha. You can't you do any FHA. FHA or, yeah. Or and then that, there's certain requirements, but it, it does allow us as a firm that's a hundred percent dedicated to like raising that net, you know, like grooming that next, uh, generation of appraisers. Um, it gives us more bandwidth to continue training and Joshua can go into a lot of the quality metrics we do because they geek out about this, but like, um, the hardest thing though, is to find a supervisor. Right. That really is. There was a time we would get phone calls. I mean, we still get phone calls. Hey, can you take somebody on? Hey, I've actually already done all my classes. When everything was, when the industry was bleeding and we're, you know, we would have trainees that were just like, hey, my supervisor bailed on me. Yep. But like, we actually have a few people right now. A lot of orphans that way. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, we do. And it's like, literally they have the time. They just didn't have, they have the time as far as like when the clock starts, Yeah. but they did not have enough hours or the ability to get that review work even. So you well, just, the, the, the yeah, other thing just, with that, Chris, that you didn't even mention is that, you know, so a supervisory appraiser takes on a trainee. OK, well, uh, theoretically, it's going to slow the supervisory appraiser down so they can't complete as much work. Okay. Now they're also doing a fee split with their trainee as well. Right. So now they're making even less money, doing less volume, peanuts, taking more, more time. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then uh, they essentially my the good old boys. The, the old approach is that you're training up your competition. Right. You know, so. Right. Right. right and right. so not only are There's you making less money. Yeah. It's like, saying. why, no, why, I mean, why would I? You've said, but the, here's the thing. The machine has worked exactly how you structured it to work. Yes. And we just said screw the machine. How are we going to structure yep. it? The system was broken on how it was yeah, set up. And it's it working it just fine. It's working yeah. how you set it up. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, tell me a little bit. You'd mentioned uh, in our conversations that you guys have a partnership with Fannie Mae. Oh yeah, man. That's, that's freaking wild and super crazy. Okay. So um, Chris mentioned that we've been doing this for three years as a actual firm. That's when we started an incorporated firm. Uh, I was part of the ground team on that one. 
Uh, sometimes I'm like, thank you. And sometimes I'm like, how dare you put this yeah. evil curse on me, Christopher? <laughs> yeah. I thought you were my friend. Yeah. Why'd you bring you me You said this? we would be friends forever. <laughs> yeah. uh, I no. hate you. <laughs> so in the, in the last few years, it took about two years. We moved uh, nine trainees through all the way to certified. Okay. Uh, and what's awesome about that isn't just about how quickly we did it. It was because of the online training platform we were able to build out internally, um, scalable systems, processes, creating consistent quality metrics that uh, are applicable to the individual appraiser across the every geography and yes. every market. Okay. So what I'm trying to say is that uh, a lot of times in a firm is if you engage one appraiser or if you try to engage all of them, mm -hmm. you might get one that's really awesome. Okay. Like sometimes a lender's like, hey man, we'll take appraiser A, but B and C, they just seem like, I don't know, man, yep. they seem like risky risky guys yeah. or gals. Kind of you know? like going to a McDonald's and you're like, hey, if Tim makes my Big Mac, that's good. Right. But Sally yeah, and Billy, they suck. Yeah, yeah. So, so I just want, it doesn't yeah. work like that. Yeah. So creating a scalable process where it's like, no, there's a WP way. So that internal online system training, uh, pairing them with the supervisory appraisers. We have a couple, you know, we've got Christopher, got some other guys um, that oversee our trainees. We also have like a pod structure and the way that we're built, uh, like I'm sharing all the secret sauce. So if you want to try to replicate it, this is the stuff you need to be listening to. <laughs> hey, right listen now. to it's it's right? just like anything else right? in but life. I'll give you it. the recipe. You might you not be able it. to cook it up like us, but I'll give it. you the recipe. Okay, you gotta do it. Yep. So it's extremely complex. Yep. But yeah, so they're in a pod structure. So you know the trainees get paired with other, uh, not necessarily peers, but like licensed and supervisory appraisers. I'm sorry, and certified appraisers and supervisory appraisers. There's also the online training. And then in addition to that, we also have a quality control process that sure. every single report gets submitted through all that quality control. So what that was able to do for us. And not a program, just so you know, like when, when people say quality control, oh, you're just pushing it through uh, like a system or right. like, no, it's a, it's a manual, it's a manual review person that is going through it. Line item. A team of like, people who are manually yeah, it's reviewing pretty those. wild yeah. what we do just to make sure uh, it's like, how can we eliminate any uh, potential hiccups that we would have? Cause nothing is worse than like when you go to closing and you're like, Hey, I know you're trying to move your family into here, but they actually spelled your last name with an E on the end. <laughs> so like, are you freaking yeah. kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Come on guys. Yeah. Like be professional. Yeah. So we try to do anything we can to eliminate those potential hurdles. The little, the little hiccups yeah. along the way. So that super long answer that I'm giving you uh, essentially is because of all of those things, Fannie Mae recognizes us as one of their uh, partners. They oh. wanted to partner with us okay. uh, as part of their ADI initiative. That's their appraisal diversity initiative. I mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of appraisers kind of look like Christopher and I, plus 30 years, you know? Uh, it's like all, just old white dudes just hanging out, yeah. you know? It's a good old boys club. Especially those VA appraisers. Yeah, you know? And so we're trying oh, to change yeah. that. We're trying to change we that. We're trying to get some wildly op, like wild opportunities for people. Well, uh, tell them how we got into that. Well, though. that's a, well, speaking of that, though, that's a big, um, I've seen that. I mean, it's been a minute, but it, over the last month or two, I've seen there's been several lawsuits that have been brought forth about um, the bias. You know, minority mm -hmm. uh, neighborhoods and mm -hmm. the bias, like like mm -hmm. families literally taking down pictures of themselves in their yep. home because they feel like they're getting a white a lower value. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. So I mean, that that seems like a big a big initiative for somebody like Fannie and HUD. To, so so kind of where that comes from is you know uh, uh, J P Schmorgan Schmace. I'm not going to say their name, but they rhymes with that. Yeah. Um, you know, they were they were affected by some of that, and and they wanted to partner with Fannie Mae to show that hey, they didn't want to be associated with uh, that type of yeah. appraisal bias and whatnot. So they yeah. donated like what was it uh, three million dollars? Wow. Them and some other organizations they committed that to Fannie Mae. They partnered with them. Um, there's about eighteen uh, eight people on the ADI team. 
Um, Tell them how they, they found us. Though. And so, oh, this is terrifying. So, you know, on this, my, on my, link, on my LinkedIn, I absolutely love I this. got a lot of, uh, I like to low key joke that I'm like LinkedIn famous. <laughs> uh, and I'm always like seeing people who are like looking at my profile. It was for like weeks. It was like for he weeks. Like, oh, shit, Fanny May kept looking at my profile and I was like, guys, promise me we're doing everything above board because <laughs> I do not oh. want to go to jail, you know, yeah. like, cause it, all, it, it, it would be very doing? ominous. Like, it would just say, Fanny May just viewed your profile May looking it kept happening yeah. and then we, and then so finally they reached out and they're like hey joshua hey we've noticed uh we've gotten multiple oh we had an applicant so we, we were applicant. starting to get applicants i'm like applicants were coming through and they were like oh fanny may referred us to you and we're like what in the world wow. no way and so long story short is you, if you do good work you attract good things yeah. and yeah. so for us that's, that's why i was sweating it i was like fanny may found us they they saw the amount of trainees were able to get all the way because it's one thing to have trainees. Trainee. That's, that's one thing, thing to too. have trainees it's another thing to get them all the way through the finish line to certify yeah right okay right. uh they saw that we're able to do that and long story short they wanted to partner with us we're a hand there are only a handful of um firms in the nation who are official partners and we get to be one of those people and it's just a huge honor i love sergio cool. sergio what's up man bill johnson to adi what's up guys uh thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you guys that's awesome i mean th that's great that they that when you do the right things people see they recognize they reach out and, and you get a benefit from that so i mean mm -hmm. it just it speaks to that one of the things i appreciate and we were just chatting about this before we start it's like hey who do you hire right like what type of person and like when i talk about like these are people like i'm doing life with mm -hmm. and we're ride or die i mean yeah. this is still the the sunset type thing so i want to enjoy and i want to have a professional experience that like really brings that bar up so yeah. who do you hire yeah and it was interesting talking with Sergio and like, hey, what Fannie Mae's trying to do and their initiative in these places. And I, there was a point, and this was the first time we talked to him. I was like, do you know where we work? And like, he was saying, hey, here are the type of people we're trying to get, or here's the opportunity. And I literally, at the end of it, I was like, hey, I took my, I think it was my phone. I put it on like a video. I'm like, let me walk you around the office. And with people from Africa, we've got people from born in Vietnam. I mean, we hired one guy one time. This was the classic bait and switch. Right. And this is why we joke about, I don't know if I always want to hire from recovery, but like first day we show up, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but like we literally get to the house, can hardly speak any English. Yeah. And I hand him a tape measure and he goes, what's this? And I was like, <laughs> oh, Oops. hell no. <laughs> This is going to be difficult. Yeah. But the thing is, if you take a chance, and yeah. I knew he was super smart, super smart. So smart. It was just somebody hadn't taken the time to right. develop those skill mm -hmm. sets. One of our best appraisers. Really? That's no, awesome. Oh, absolutely. That's and we just kept going around the room. And I was like, man, what you're trying to do, we're already doing it. It's just we're able to get them to the finish line to get them certified. So for us, it was like a no brainer. Well, there's something to be said because we experience it in our business a lot. And I, I do myself too, to some degree is um, you deal with it, when you want to hire people, right? You want to bring in people uh, on board with your team. And when you hire the, you know, the, the can't teach an old dog, new tricks, right? Mm -hmm. So when you bring on somebody mm -hmm. that has, you know, and especially like I said, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. It's like, okay, you know, th that's great. But that just means your, your knowledge is 20 years old. It's not mm -hmm. current, especially if you, if Could you're be, not yeah. open to taking in new information. And so a lot of times, 
sometimes, you know, I personally prefer hiring people that are brand new to the business because then you can mold them in mm -hmm. the culture and the methodology that you believed in You're that's exactly been successful right. for you as opposed to trying to bring somebody in and break them of a bunch of bad habits yep. and it, and then when you layer on top of that that you're giving someone an opportunity mm -hmm. oh, to yeah. better their life i mean that's just that makes it 10 yeah, times are you better. kidding me i yeah. mean we so whenever we're building our quality control metrics and stuff we actually we we're like you know what we're gonna hire a sith lord from the dark side right. uh, we did. so we hired directly from Fannie Mae. Yes. We, oh, we wow. hired one of their okay. their senior review appraisers, Ooh, brought her on staff. Culture you, shock. Oh, bro, dude, they're, they're, for weeks, everybody was terrified. Oh, all, man, I've seen grown men cry. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it was, was so awesome. I was like, that's right. It was brutal. Back. But what, what we learned in that process, awesome. So, man, she was so awesome. Nancy, shout out. But like, yeah, we the, love Nancy. She's well, so the thing that we learned about is, you know, there's just low technology adoption rate yeah. amongst, you know, senior level appraisers as well. So that it's not just like, the, 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 they can't write a quality report. It's the efficiency and keeping up with the demand. Yeah. You know, when you talk about that, that shortage earlier, you know, of appraisers, it's not necessarily that there's a shortage. It's that there's an astronomical number of transactions in the marketplace that were unprecedented. Right. Uh, that it's the we, greatest growth we've seen ever in the history of real estate. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. And we and, couldn't keep up. No, and, nobody yeah, could. We couldn't keep up. Lenders and, couldn't. Realtors couldn't. Uh, nobody could. It was, it was insane. It was, mm -hmm. it was absolutely nuts. I actually used to have a lot more hair. Uh, but I lost most of it during that oh, time. It looks good. Hey, uh, let's just keep the hair jokes to a minute. I'm sorry, Mike. That wasn't personal. <laughs> we got a team at work. We're going to do the turkey implants. Yeah, yeah you want to go with this to turkey? Oh, yeah, let's yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Let's get implants, bro. I, I always joke that uh, if, if there comes a day where I can take one pill one time and my hair will grow back, sure. But anything else beyond that, I'm just, uh -huh. I'm, I don't have enough time for that. No commitment. Um, Okay, so let's dig into some of the nuts and bolts then a little bit too now. Um, now that we know where you guys are coming from and what you guys have created, um, I really want to get into kind of, you know, dispelling some of the misconceptions when it comes to actually doing appraisals. So mm. let's start with the, one of the biggest ones that I think are out there, the government versus conventional appraisal, right? Mm -hmm. Now, we know that the difference between a VA appraiser or appraisal, an FHA appraisal and a conventional appraisal, there are differences, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, a lot of times, especially in the realtor world, um, agents are less um, less likely to accept in a multiple offer situation a VA or FHA appraisal. Now, not just because we all know that the property has to be in a certain condition in mm -hmm. order to get those accepted, but they actually think that there's a, there's a effect of the value of the home, mm. right? When it comes to, if this is FHA or conventional where I'm worried with FHA, that it's going to affect my value. So, um, can you guys speak to a little bit about, you know, what are the actual differences between FHA and conventional? Let's just stay there for right now. Um, and then if you were talking to an agent to make them feel better about, you know, accepting an FHA offer and not being so concerned about the value piece of it, you know, what would you say to them? Yeah, I'm, I'm just reflecting on uh, another talking event that we were at a few weeks ago. And there is a stigma like, yeah. oh man, one's better than the other. And yep. uh, one of the things you can consider, it's like, will, if, if, how do, how do we get this to the finish line? Meaning like, hey, if this is the client, if this is the person that's going to buy the house, yeah. I like their offer and everything. Like, what does it matter? Like if, if you say, no, I'm only taking conventional loans mm -hmm. and then you, they can't buy the house, yeah. but they could have done FHA and they could have bought the house. Right. Come on. You yeah. know, so like um, in, in our industry right now, I'm not seeing as much stigma around that. Like yeah. if, and from an appraiser's opinion, at least in our office, man. I don't care either way. Like, it, like how I coach our team. Yes. There are certain specific differentiations. Like sure. 
this is definitely not going to be FHA eligible. Or it has to be fixed. Or, yeah, or it has to be fixed and everything. Right. But the like, of, I, I amount of data we got to gather is a lot more data. Yeah, on it's a lot side. more data. Um, however, it's a lot of it too is just common sense. Right. Like I think, like, hey, is my kid going to literally like is 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 there a pending health hazard here when I come in here? Right. Like, if my family bought this house, is my kid going to put their head through that railing? Right. Because it's it's two feet wide and the kid's going to fall off. It's just a lot of it's very common sense. Oh, his kids will do that by the oh, way. Straight up. <laughs> straight yeah. up they cray cray yeah. shout out shout out greens oh they're nuts yeah they'll give them run for their money so um those are like big things are like oh does it have um man even like a lot of, back in the day it was like these electrical panels and like there's just there are certain common sense things that you look for mm -hmm. um that you don't have to like you don't have to have that stigma like man it just won't pass this way what would be what would be if you were talking to a realtor, what would be a, I don't want to say a red flag, but what would be an indicator when they're looking at a house to list per se, right? And say mm -hmm. that, hey, we're going to list this property. And, you know, sometimes they'll put in the showings, you know, only conventional offers accepted. And there is a, you know, from a there, lender's mm -hmm. point of view, by the way, there is a difference, obviously, between FHA and conventional because sure. FHA loans always have the exit if the house doesn't appraise exactly for the value, right? right? Mm -hmm. yep. Whereas so I with get that. conventional loans, I can put an addendum in there that says, regardless of the appraised value, we're going to accept this. So from a, from a listing agent's point of view, I can understand that being a reason why you would select conventional over FHA, 100%. Mm -hmm. But um, when it comes to the condition and quality of the house, if you were talking to a realtor, what would you say to them to say, okay, if you're going to list this house to understand if it's going to be acceptable for FHA, here's some things that you need to make sure that you, you check out. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, just super high level, like, you know, when I'm saying what would be posing like a health issue right are there exposed wiring okay is this guy living here thinking he's an electrician and he's got a box and like those are things that will jack up like that is like a red flag don't don't pass right. go right. um are there fixtures missing like are there uh it, should there be a sink here and there's just it's like uh someone trying to be a home repair guy and gets about 60 percent of the way through and it's like nah, i'll finish it later right um those are going to be challenges. Okay. Um, I would also say, uh, man, it, like any like outright hazard, like so like busted glass and windows, like it, is this something that's atypical, like that is that is not uh, standard for that neighborhood because yes. somebody decided to, you know, what about customize it? What about bars on the window? Ooh, that's a good one. Or what about? Man, we ran into this once. It's, you know, like sometimes if, if there's a window in a bedroom, but that window is not um, to a certain height mm -hmm. and it can't be accessed. Mm -hmm. So think about, yeah. And you can't leave it. It's a fire hazard. Yes. Like you could, you know, burn alive in there and yes. whatnot, you know, or a child can't get out. You know, right. th those are things to look at, you know, especially because a lot of times on these FHA deals, you, you run into more rural properties. It's not always true, but you, you just do. There's just like more the, out there. And so yeah. then you just have, you know, Uncle Billy who's out there building whatever you know on his house and you know you're looking for like water damage you know yeah i'm um, looking um a, a lot of the cookie cutter communities uh -huh. that we would have when i say cookie cutter like man it's like mid late 90s and on pretty much unless it the house is completely thrashed right you'll be just fine. you'll be fine you'll yep. be fine, yep. you're not gonna run you'll be fine. it's gonna be more of these like unique like hey i built this myself and 
Well, so, okay. That brings up a good point. Speaking of unique property. So from, a, from, again, from a lender's point of view, whenever we get questions all the time, can I finance a uh, barn dominium? Can I finance a, uh, yeah. you know, dome house? Can I yep. finance oh, hey, yeah. this, whatever? Oh yeah. So yeah, let's do it. our answer, and you can tell me if this is right is, is it depends on the comps that that's always the way that yeah. we approach it. Because if you can, if the appraiser can find similar properties in the area that have either sold recently or, um, you know, have some sort of history on, then then it's possible. But, but if we but can't, what is in the area, right? Like that, if it's a bond or a dominium, yes. what is what? Let's what define is area. Yes, I'm you know, from Iowa, uh -huh. and I share that term with some of my appraisers back there, and they're like, "What the hell what? are yeah. you talking about?" And I was like, "No, dude, it's a term. It's they're like, like a condominium. They're like, but like a, a barn side home. I'm like, no, no, it's a barn dominium. It's a yeah. barn with a house inside yeah. of it. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Yes. So, like, how do you do that? Like, or if if that's the question you're getting, uh, one thing I would challenge your listeners or whoever's watching this. It's the, the two things that go come to my head are when you say lender and comps, I think lender, are they in the area? Mm -hmm. Do they know what they're doing? Do they know? Because if it's like, Hey, I got a 1-800 call and they're offering me this rate and you're buying some kind of unique property. No freaking way. Right. Yeah. Right. And you saved yep. a quarter percent, man, you even say 1%. It doesn't mean anything if you can't get to the finish line. Right. So are the lenders competent in the area? Right. And mm -hmm. even more importantly, comps are as good as the appraisers that you have pulling those comps. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And my point in saying that is like, we have lender partners that know their appraiser panel so well that mm -hmm. they know, like they, in many cases, we are the last piece of the puzzle. Right. We are that last part to come in. And if 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 you don't if you don't know who your appraiser is, or if you don't have faith in like that product that that team is producing that's yeah. consistent mm -hmm. and can like because you have unique properties like that, you will have questions. Right. So that also depends on how well that appraiser narrates that to the underwriter right. who's looking at it. So right. I would say the lender being competent in the area and two. I would ask that lender, hey, what does your appraisal panel look like? Right. Now, here's the thing. AMCs, I will tell you, AMCs are a great solution when you have outskirt areas. Yes. And if you're mm -hmm. like, yes. oh, my god, We gosh, have to use them sometimes. 100% yeah. do that. But you can really learn a lot from a lender if you ask them, hey, what's your appraisal panel? Look like what when we just when you were talking about earlier about defining an area so yep. if, if an appraiser is running some comps and we're looking at a particular you know what is the standard kind of timeline from which it had to be sold distance from out even just a standard property you know what are, what are most appraisers looking at when it comes to actually picking comps yourself now i know you guys have mentioned we talked earlier about it about you know you do like interactions with agents say hey what what comps were you pulling let me know you know we'll we'll consider it to some extent absolutely hey but, realtor shout out i mean if you got comps and man, it's, it is advantageous to work hand in hand with your appraiser. Yeah. Now I know not every appraiser is that way, yeah. you know, and our firm at WP appraisers, we're like, no, like let's get in the trenches together because the truth is oftentimes we found they have information that we don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There have been times where like we I'm more, more often than not, um, where we have been able to like a deal has gone to the finish line because we, we've been able to identify I mean, whether comparables have sold off market or there right. was like, as long as we have that documentation, like some of the best information we get is from realtors. You just so, need the data. Yep. Yeah. It, it, exactly. That's right. all I'm doing. I'm right. playing Sherlock Holmes. Right. But for you, I'm Chris, not trying to fight you. I mean, well, let's say you go in 90 days, you go in 180 days, you go in five miles, neighborhood boundaries. What are we oh, talking here? Talking, so uh, let's do a Barnum and okay. for example. I'll go out as far as I need to go okay. to find uh comparable sales that produce a credible defendable 
report. Right. That doesn't mean I'm overlooking barn dominiums to hit a price. That doesn't right. mean that, oh, he's just going out like a barn dominium is a unique product. Yes. It's semi unique. Um, how many acres is it? Like if I were, if I were in the market with my wife and my four little kids and my mini golden doodle, and I want to <laughs> do the green family, you know, dream or nightmare Bardo dream, oh, yeah. living mm. the American dream, right. you know, there's going to be a big difference if I want to do a barn on one acre or a barn on 20 acres. Right. Yep. And can I articulate that difference and like what the acreage amenity actually costs right. so I can use that. So to answer your question on Barndo, I'll go out as far as I need to, right. um, to create those two things, a credible, right. defendable report, right. cookie cutter neighborhood, for example, right. proximity and time. Okay. And I know that's very like, which one's more important mm, distance it, or time. So here's the thing. It depends how much it, it depends the neighborhood okay. and it depends how much information I have. Okay. What I mean by that is if I'm in a, um, well, we're up in based in Frisco, there's some like really ritzy communities like that just have low turnover. And you're like, man, I can't, I can't necessarily use time because I have such limited comps in there. And right. those comps, since it's such a unique neighborhood, um, those are probably going to be what I favor. Right. Um, now on the flip side, you might have a more, um, uh, neighborhood where there's lots of transactions, say some of these mm -hmm. pop-up neighborhoods and like, there's tons of new construction sales and all that. I am looking for homes that have sold recently. Okay. That's what I'm looking for. Would you say in a, cause this, this question came up a lot too, especially when we were going through all the chaos, um, you know, agents would say, well, the market's changing and it's, it's rapidly changing. So how much does an appraiser consider, or do, do you guys ever think to yourself, you know, and cause I know the circumstances don't come up often, but do you ever think to yourself, okay, this market is really shifting in a certain direction up or down. So I am having to consider the newness or the recency a little bit heavier because we are in a dramatic shift because in some cases, you know, prior to COVID and all that kind of stuff, it was pretty, I mean, prices were going up for sure, Oh yeah. but it was, it was, the rates were same. It wasn't like a crazy influx of properties. It was just kind of consistent. So I could see how distance would be more important just because we got to get more of a neighborhood set up. But then you move into say 2021, mm. you know, right after COVID hits and the market explodes. And now that property that sold 60, 90, 120 days ago, it, the market was completely different than it is that it's selling oh, yeah. today. So, yeah. so how much stock goes into that when you guys oh. look at those things? So I'll say in that, in that, and I can give a specific example, a ton yeah, okay. and, and, and the appraiser, and this goes back to whoever is listening, make sure your lenders are like familiar with the area. Um, no underwriting, no, like just what it's going to take yeah. and then know your appraiser panel. Um, and, and, and being able to articulate that. So for example, um, we, we had one, uh, and this was when it was like wild. And I joked about this $500,000 Manny. No, no, that's a, oh, no, okay. that's just, that's something else. That's like a, that's like a bad, that's Manny like a, hope? yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. This is incredible. That's great. beautiful. Lakeside oh, yeah. waterfront views. Oh, wonderful. Badass. That's a hell of a man. Huh? <laughs> oh, it was something. Um, but in this situation, it was like, it was, we, and it was rapidly increasing, like could not keep up, could not yeah. keep up. And I had, and and again, everything that we do, so making a time adjustment has to be data-driven. Drives me freaking nuts when I, because we do a lot of review work and it's like the appraiser put a 5%, appraiser put a 10%. Where'd that come from? What? Yep. Based on what? Based on what? Like it just gives you so much exposure. Right. But in this situation, and we could rapidly increasing and I had it down to a specific, I mean, data jam-packed. This is where it's going. We even had, uh, it was the money comp, as I call it, the pending sale. 
that's yes. like this is where it's going. It's right. just that sucker hasn't closed, hasn't closed yet. yet. Yeah. And we noticed this during that time. You'd have like three. It happened to me. Let's Third wait days. them out. Let's, Let's wait, wait them, them out. out. And I'm just kind of a pushover. So I'm like, <laughs> screw it. I'll take one for the team. Yeah. So then it's like that first one sells and yeah. now everybody else sells. Right. Um, but in that case, you you need to be partnered with like folks that know what they're doing. We were able to go to that realtor and say, hey, lovely house, all this. We're here too. What is that thing closing for? Right. Like, can you just, or, and they wouldn't disclose that. But I tried. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I mean, and I mean, then also too, you when, try, do you, when do you anticipate that closing? Yeah. And what we were able to do is I knew once that sucker closed, I could get ours there. Um, and we gave the lending and it was only like a week later, but that would make the report and mm -hmm. it would support everything going to it. We ended up appraising the property. The lender allowed us to go back out to and do a reinspection so we could change the effective date after this other one sold and we got to the finish line. Oh wow, that's that's awesome. So so you were able to actually go adjust it because exactly that new right. comp in that in You're the exactly appreciating right. market. But the thing is that's like great. most folks and, and not a jab at appraisers either. Most people just don't have time to do that. Yeah. But that is that is what it that's, that's what, what it being takes. Yep. A good appraiser and having good appraiser partners. Yeah. Um because that's where the market was going. Yeah. And that's exactly where it we, went. We ended up doing that that on quite a few. Yeah. During few, that time, honestly, we, it, would, it was, we did that quite a we, bit. We had those conversations with the lender like, hey, listen, man, we we believe that we can get this across the finish line in yeah. a credible and defendable way if we can get like three more days out give of this. Give us a little more time. Yeah. So yeah. I'll even give you the report right like, now. Just, yeah. you know, can we do a re-inspection re Just do external? a trip fee so I can yeah. change the yeah. effective, yep, right. effective date and stay kosher. Right. Yep. Uh, flip side on that, one of the things we're noticing now, it's like, oh, yeah, the market's declining. Because, again, we do a lot of review work. And you're like, declining? Why the heck did you mark this declining? And you look at the MC sheet, and A, there's maybe like six comps on an MC sheet. So yeah. you're basing all of your data and where that market's going on six comps. Yeah. I don't think so. Like, And then you're also seeing things that'd be like 400, 399.9, and 398 declining market. Over the last 12 months, you're like, so by marking that declining through a whole throws a whole wrench into this process and yeah. it's just even if yeah even if you hit value all of a sudden now that borrower's got to put more money down on the loan because it's more risky yeah. right and so you completely just threw a whole wrench when maybe you actually didn't need to market declining throw the wrench. so you just well there, i think there's an extra layer to it too because um right now at least and, and i think maybe it's gotten a little bit better but there was a period of time for a couple months <clears throat> when everything was not declining but certainly the market stabilizing? was stabilizing yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. where um you know i i don't think the vast population or the majority of the population understands that when all of this chaos was going down that there were very large entities purchasing up a lot of homes right yes. the open doors the zillows the hedge oh, funds yeah. of the world right oh, yeah and then when they overpaid for a lot of those properties because they were throwing cash at everything they could get their hands on then they were like okay well now the market is stabilizing so we need to unload some of these well, then you see, I, I remember I did a search in Mansfield. My wife's a realtor. And uh, I did a search in Mansfield uh, where we're at right now for all of the homes that have been on the market for more than 60 days. Mm. I just wanted to see what had been sitting. I wonder who owned them. Exactly right. So there were, and it was like, I picked the purchase price between like 350 and 450 or something That's like that. Good. I kind of narrowed the range a little bit. But there were, I think at the time, there were 15 listings. 13 of them were either owned by uh, um, Redfin or yep. um, uh, the one that I just said a minute ago, Open Door. Uh, Open Door. And when you look at the pictures, when you look at the property, there's holes in the walls. Oh, yeah. Not painted. It's, it's just it's ready to go. Looks maintenance. Yeah. Terrible. Yep. You know, and so there's this 
there's this thing where you, you know, we would tell list people that were selling their homes. Like if you make the house, cause at that point it was like, buyers now have a choice. They uh, don't yeah. have to throw 50 offers out there and hope one of them gets accepted. Mm -hmm. Now they can be a little bit more discernible on what they want to put an offer mm -hmm. on. So as a, as a seller, you need to make sure that your house is presentable mm -hmm. when you come, Hey, yeah, we're back to regular market. Yeah. You can't you know? sell crap anymore. Correct. So there had to be a certain level of, I wonder from an appraiser's point of view, when you're saying, okay, well, there's still these homes at this price that have been on the market, but let me look at these houses. These are all open door dumps that nobody wants to touch. These yep. homes that were individually owned that were actually presentable sold just as fast as any other. You time. should be an appraiser. Yeah. Like, so yeah. it's like, how do you articulate yeah. that in the report? Because yeah. guess what? That's going to come up in the report. Yes. So before the underwriter even asks you that, tell them, yeah. hey, mm -hmm. we all of these properties, we would look, we looked at it, you know, yeah. these ones are all open by, or, um, these ones were all you owned. Know, owned by this entity. These yeah. were mm -hmm. so like, it, ultimately it comes back. Does the underwriter, like, does, does the lender, are they going to be able to, yeah. a, are they able to sell this or B, is this something that they're comfortable keeping it yeah. in house? But like, if the appraiser doesn't take that time to explain that, yeah, I mean, that's why you have appraisers who are like, man, I hate these revisions. I'm like, Look what you sent them, dude. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing about those, those types of homes, you know, they, they're not selling on the secondary market. Usually, no. usually you know, they're, they're selling to other investment firms, yes. but they're not going to Fannie Mae. They're not GSEs aren't touching those things. Right. No. You know, and we've seen an uptick in, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I read a statistic uh, and I might butcher it. So I'm going to throw the word allegedly so I can't be held responsible. I heard that's what you do, but like oh. allegedly uh, in 2022, one in four transactions in Collin County were uh institutional buyers in tarrant county dallas morning news or excuse me the fort worth star telegram reported that 50 percent of the homes in 2022 were purchased by instance or 2021 were purchased by institutional buyers. And, and you know what's not wild but he, 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 wild. we should all so there's a there's an organization that we work with too um i won't call them a loan shark they're hard, hard money lender though yeah uh people call them loan sharks sometimes right. but, but they're hard not hard money lenders is, have a place is, in the market this is this is a great one especially for you know flavor. maybe yep. credit challenge you know people uh this is ah. Uh, they're amazing. Okay. We, we work with them occasionally here and there. Um, we were having a conversation with uh, Caleb, shout out. And uh, Caleb was telling us, man, that he believed that, you know, that the next big thing in the institutional buying is, is to, for it to be regulated, for yes. it to be like yeah. an agency, to for it going. to be like Fannie, Freddie Mac. We really were getting into the nitty gritty, the nitty -gritty details. And it just makes sense that things are going to head that way with yeah. more institutional buying. I mean, without it, it's going to have to be regulated in order for the everyday buyer to own a home. Well, the the problem, and, and I agree with you, the issue, though, is that um, it goes back to incentives again, right? So the the legislation bodies, whether it be state or federal, they have to have incentive in order to pass laws like that. And if the money that's coming in to determine those laws is not coming from the average home buyer and it's coming Bingo. from open door zillow black rocks blackstone um then it's going to be tough for those types of laws to be passed everybody that looks at the market that exists in our world absolutely knows that in order for it to ever get back to a stable housing market to where the average american can purchase a house they're going to have to do some sort of legislation to minimize the amount mm -hmm. of institutional buyers that can buy homes yeah but in order for that to happen, there has to be incentive for legislation to pass. And unless people get up in arms, which maybe they will, maybe they won't. You're the um, guy, Mike. Yeah. I vote. Mike Mills, 2024. <laughs> right. Y'all yeah. heard it here yeah. first yeah, on yeah, this yeah. podcast. Yeah. He's going. Right. Right, I'm right. voting Mike. Yes, no, I don't think so. But but it, it's it's a sad state of affairs. And I do actually talk about this a lot when, when I do different podcasts with people on this topic because it's frustrating 
you know, I made a joke the other day when I made a different video that this isn't 1955 where one income can can uh, buy a car, uh, support a family, purchase a nice home and pay for college. In 1955, if you worked at Lockheed Martin or General Motors or whatever you want to call it, one individual, mom, dad, whoever, mm. could support the entire household, buy cars, buy homes, and be able to pay for college for their kids. Today, you can barely do it with two incomes. And if you have more than one kid, good luck, right? Yeah. Because if you have cost. car payments, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it's 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 insane. And the cost of housing has gone up so incredibly mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. that it's the next generation, the I don't even want to say the the millennials, but the Gen Zs like my kids. The only reason that my kids would be able to purchase a house in 10 years is because I help them. Yep. That's going to be the only reason. They get some money. In. That's it. Yep. Because otherwise, there's no way to do it. You know, and it's kind of, uh, it's almost a little disheartening sometimes right now because when I talk to someone in their, say, late 20s, early 30s, mm. more often than not, I'm talking to their parents quite a bit because oh, wow. Wow. whatever the reason is, mm. you know, whether we want to raise them a certain way or whatever. It's it's just to a place where they're afraid to make decisions or make the wrong decisions, and Interesting. I I don't know if it's because too many options. Maybe maybe it's too many options. Maybe you know it, it goes back to parents, and you know we wanted we want to do the best for our kids, and so we tend to make decisions for them instead mm -hmm. of letting them mm -hmm. figure things out. Um, I, you know there could be a million reasons. I, I I don't know exactly, but it's just a trend that I'm starting to see. And then the next generation, I hear this all the time too. It's funny because. They'll say, well, you know, you'll see Forbes, right? They'll publish an article. They'll say, well, you know, millennials don't really want to be homeowners. They want to, you know, travel and they want to spend time being free and having flexibility. They prefer to rent. And you know what? That is true. That's true until they have kids. I'm going to tell you right now, one of our uh, one of our best guys, he was just promoted. Uh, he used to report to me, uh, but he got kicked off my team because he did such an amazing job. <laughs> yeah, uh, it sucks. Shout it's out surreal. Vaughn. Yeah. Vaughn, you're the real MVP. He's, uh, he's one of our trainees Smart now. He's moved player. over into that area. Vaughn is 24, uh, straight out of college, been uh, in the appraisal life now for a, a little over a couple of years, I, I guess. He has moved to Grayson County up in the Sherman. He's got chickens and he's married. Yeah. So I think it's a lie also. Yeah. I'm just saying like, yeah. like well, what, I mean, what, I, what are you yeah. in, the, in the media and what they want to sell? I mean, yes. you know, well, because they're trying to push an idea that they're trying to share. Because again, when, when you, <laughs> when you they are, don't want to buy homes. They well, when your yet. biggest investor at Forbes oh, is Zillow, when they're yeah. paying oh, yeah. $2 Absolutely. million in advertising, no, I hear you. then you're going to push the idea that people don't want to own homes. They want to rent. No, they don't. Nobody wants to rent. It does make it. Mike yeah. Mills, 2024. Yeah. Yeah, dude, you're good. Yeah. It does make it tough for someone like Yvonne though it's like this uphill yeah. struggle because it's like man no I still want that yeah mm -hmm. it just means I'm gonna have to come up with more money but like for the folks that want to do it they'll figure out a way yep it's um yeah it's so interesting when you have uh so right now we have people that are sitting with two and three percent interest rates and they don't want to sell their home that's me I completely understand yep everybody that's you know if you don't have to sell you're not going to sell. So then the next thing that's going to happen is people are going, but they're also sitting on, I read the other day, the average American sitting on $185,000 worth of equity in their mm. house right now. Right? So if you're sitting on that much equity and you have this interest rate that you don't want to sell your home, then the next landlord, well, no, the next logical step would be, I want to improve my home. Uh, I want mm. to upgrade because I'm not going to move. So I want to add a pool or I want to put in a new addition or I want to change mm. my bathroom or mm. my kitchen or whatever. So from an appraiser's point of view, what do you guys think the type of upgrades that an individual could add to their house is going to have the biggest bang for their buck when it comes to the actual market value? Okay. So 
Oh man, that's like a million dollar question. Um, I'll throw. Well, it depends on, on the neighborhood too. Yeah. Right. Okay. Absolutely. I would look at like, um, you know, bedroom, bath count. Those are like the really big ones. Okay. Um, if you've got a two bath home and primarily all the comps in your neighborhood are three or four bathroom. Okay. Yeah. You should add a bathroom if okay. you can, that okay. would be smart. Um, but any type of like bathroom remodel, kitchen remodel, and I'm not talking about like paint, you know, just yeah. like, Hey, I, you know, we did a full remodel. No, like remodel, remodel. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one that's interesting though, and this is one that has changed and we were, we've been talking, this has come up several garage? times. We going garage here. No, no, I'm not the pool. Oh, yeah. Okay. Back in the day, like pools would be like, uh, again, with our firm and what we do, it has to be data driven. Sure. So like if comp A sells for this, it's identical to comp B. There's no difference other than one has a pool, but they still sold for the same price. Guess what the pools were? Zero. Right. Like that's, I mean, because that's a data driven decision. Right. Sorry, folks. One of our, sorry. Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. No, no, but it gets better. Uh, <laughs> what we found with pools and COVID is like we started seeing comps that were like, oh, dang. You're getting like 50% of your, you know, you're not getting dollar for dollar, Yeah. but then it kept creeping up. And then there were sometimes we would see, good Lord, you're getting like dollar for dollar of what the pool would have cost back then. Now, pools tend to cost astronomical now. Um, yes. I mean, they have gone through the roof. So yeah. I don't know if you're still getting dollar like for dollar. It's like 50 grand just to put a hole in the ground. Yeah. My, my uh, very yeah. close but friend, it, one of my close friends, he just got a quote. And it was, uh, I was like. I think it was like close to $200,000. He might yes. be in the room right now. No, yes. I don't know. My a, close yeah. friend. I yes. thought, sorry, kids, you're, uh, you're doing the kiddie pool. Like, <laughs> Daddy loves you, just not that much. They have gotten incredibly well. But it, they have, they've gone up in price yeah. substantially. So um, there was a time where I said, yeah, pool, you know, maybe if it costs you 50 grand, you might get 20,000 out of it, something like yeah. that. And then there was a time where it swung the complete other way. Where yeah. I'm like, dang, you have a pool and it's COVID. You're going to sell that house. Yeah. yeah. Um, now it started to, I don't know. Again, not dollar for dollar, just because the the price of pools, at yeah. least ones that I've quoted, have been way high. Well, we always, I mean, my, my my wife and I, when we talk to people that ever buy or sell, you know, we're like, look, if you want a pool and put it in, you have to make that decision based on the fact that that's what you want. Yep. Because, and if you're that's exactly what right. you want yep. and you are going to get value out of that, then great. You do what you got to do. But if you're doing it because you're deciding on whether or not you're going to sell your house for more oh, or less, God, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Because there's no, there's just as... I could go go into a home and I want three bedrooms or I want, you know, two and a half baths or this is my preferred desire. Well, there's people that don't want a pool and mm -hmm. there are people that do want a pool yeah. and you can't control who's coming and seeing the home. So whether or not that individual places value on that pool, you can't control. So mm -hmm. there's no reason to put in, you know, um, that's something of that significant unless you find value in it. And mm -hmm. then like, <laughs> so uh, my wife and I, we bought a house in, I want to say it was 2010 maybe mm. um and here in mansfield oh, that's like perfect timing yeah it yeah was like what, i mean oh yeah no yeah we paid we paid 190 and ended up selling it for 320 um not I, too much longer i bought a house in saginaw once yeah and it was like it was like around 2010 i've been down to texas here a couple of times yeah. but previous job and it was like yeah it was like 212 or something that same thing's like half a million dollars. Yeah, it's insane. It, the prices have gone ridiculous, but but we put in the we put in the pool and um and then we uh, we moved uh, twelve months later. Because oh, my wife's a realtor, so yeah. she likes looking at houses yeah. all the time. And she's like, "What about this?" I'm like, "We just don't show me another in the house. We just put in a pool." Like I'm like, it's like pin trash. Yeah, but she got me. So stay you know, up. What about this, Chris? Well, what about like a sunroom? Let's say someone wants like you know close it in, finish it out. 
what what would cause that thing not to be included in GLA? Well, yes. so like, I mean, again, you're going to have to have uh, like HVAC. I yes. mean, and not just like, oh, I threw in an AC unit. The other thing we see too, um, and this is really important for realtors when you're listing. Yes. Um, is the fit and finish of that room for a sunroom, for similar. example, yeah. similar or the same yeah. as the rest of the house? Because if I'm giving X amount dollar price per square foot for the home, yeah, um, and you want me to add an additional, you know, shack that you screened in and put a window unit in, I can't like. Not I'm saying I can't. It's data, really data nice does though. Not it feels nice oh, out dude, here on the shack. I, I bet it's, it's got yeah. a breeze. The wind is nice. Well, can you That's can you speak great. to the same topic about the permits and what you can include and what you can't when it's not permitted? Because when when Uncle Bob decides he's going to convert his garage and now he's it's his man cave, but nobody else knows about it other than Uncle Bob. So like a it, okay, so that's interesting. Um, you discrepancy. Can, and what the county shows yeah and yeah. again this goes back to the lenders yeah you better know your stuff yep. because sometimes lenders will be like is the fit and finish the same mm -hmm. are there other homes in the area that have your garages converted yeah okay you're fine yeah uh if permits at uh, the kosher thing though like if permits so for example if if uh we're doing an appraisal and by the way we know like our like just like you know the folks that you work yeah. with we know our clients we know the lender is well. gonna we, we i mean we go through like to a point where our appraisers freaking hate me we just but we, like we, we go through the engagement letter mm -hmm. and i'm like hey did you check this because yeah. i chase for example i just know this is this legally uh permitted permissible and if you don't have that on there then yeah. no you cannot no it's not so i will i will note it i'll even take a picture of it for yeah. you and i'll put it in there but I won't give it value. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the agents have to know that too, going into it and say, Hey, look, you know, cause that's, they have to set expectations with their sellers to say, yes. Hey, look, this house is, I know you put this work into it. You put 10 grand or 15 grand into this converted garage or sunroom or whatever the case it may be, but because it doesn't either match the neighborhood or because it doesn't, yeah, just, again, but I just, just got a new, I just got a new roof, man. What the heck? What do you mean? Oh yeah. Those You're are like, well, <laughs> uh, listen, I mean, everybody's got to have a roof, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, it's called the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but, but we run into that, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got a new roof. I got HVAC. Tell you what, how many light bulbs, how many, oh, you put new trusses in. I'll write them all down because it's like, it's their home, you know? And like, these are yeah. families, these are people and they're proud of it. Everybody thinks their house is worth more but, than it but is. But here's it's the thing. What I, thing. what I know is true is at the end of the day, whether it, you know, whether uh, there is a discrepancy or not between contract price and appraised value, yeah. I can sleep well at night knowing that I did all my due diligence yes. yeah. and I asked all the right questions. Mm -hmm. That yeah. way, if they don't, because we, we know this, yeah. like if, if they don't like the value, that's not my role in right. this. But you can't come back and say it's not because I didn't ask you yeah. and because I didn't like do my due diligence. Yeah. Well, so, as long as you give them the information and there's a reason yeah. for everything, then you can justify it. But um so one other thing I want to ask too is um, that we get a lot is the price per square foot, Ooh. right? It's every every agent or not every agent. I want to play, put put a broad blanket on everybody, but a lot of agents. That's the only thing that they use. I, I, the price per square foot. This is what the house is comped at. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of other factors that go into it. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And that's and again, not jab at an appraiser or at uh, realtors or anything like that. Because yep. I've heard it the other way too. Appraisers like oh you know, they're just going off of price per square foot. Well, did you ask them? Yeah. Um, one of the challenges is like a 2000 square foot house mm -hmm. is not going to have, or potentially not have the more than likely 
not have the same price per square foot as a 4,000 square right. foot house. Right. So there's brackets, but again, you go back to that GLA, you, right. you go back or go back to the data. So like, Hey, homes that are, say you're trying to list a house and the house is 2000 square foot. Okay. What are homes 1800 to 2200 going for mm -hmm. roughly mm -hmm. have that data know that this is what it looks like. Um, and we're dorks at work. We spend thousands of dollars on like Titan analytics and all this, all this technology where you can quantify and you can see on like a pipe, uh, like on a, like a graph and you can see these outliers. Mm -hmm. So you can say, even though it's within the range, why is this one so high? Right. Um, maybe because, and then you look at the pictures, you're like, what's well, a full blown remodel. Right. And then you can, so you can, you can better gauge as you're pricing your home that you want to list. This is more in line with this comparable sale, or this is more in line with this comparable sale versus just taking a blanket and saying, well, price per square foot is X amount. Right. Like, quality and condition on that also, yeah. you know, it's like quality and condition are huge uh, indicators of the price. How, how do y'all base that? Cause I do see that on the appraiser appraisal reports often the C2, C3, you know, can you explain that a little bit? Cause to me as a lender, when I look at that and I see a big adjustment for a C2 to C3, and then I'm looking again, I'm ignorant mm -hmm. to this and I'm looking at both. I'm like, I don't understand why there's such a big difference and it's a $50,000 adjustment or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, C6 is well. like a meth lab right. exploded. Okay. Like people died nice, in there. Nice meth lab. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 You can put some paint on there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, uh, but it's a C6. Yeah. 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 And people aren't lending on that. You know, yeah. the condition is just outright atrocious. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But C1 like one would be new construction. Right. So it could be a, so two differences. C1, C1. Yeah. Condition quality. It's actually, um, if you ever want to fall asleep, you can go through the 1004 form that we use. And yeah. there's several addenda pages in there that, that actually out. go. So there was a time like when I started, like I, when I started, everything is Q3C3, Q3C3, Q3C3. That's not correct. Right. So look and see what the quality looks like. Right. And you'll be able to differentiate between this type of builder and this type of builder. Right. So it's supposed to be the, the reason that you, um, that you need to have some of those standards in there is yeah. because the adjustments you make. Right. Um, one of the things that we find like, uh, like our firm, we embrace technology. We just do. Um, so you can see what your peers have up as your comparable sales and you'll still see some that you're like Q4, Q4, Q4. And then you have a Q3, C3. And it's like, dude, like, so you're kind of gauging. So, uh, quality would be the quality of material utilized okay. condition would be like, you could have a manufactured home. That's a C1 because it's brand new. Right. The so quality sometimes would sometimes do the age of it basically is yeah, to some extent. All, yeah, a lot the of the times. Yeah. yeah. And condition like a C2 would be like just barely lived in, or yeah. there has been substantial remodeling done to get to a C2. Right. Most of the time C3. a home is a C4, C3. C3. Cause it's you been know? lived in for a little while. Yeah. yeah. And here's the thing. And there's and nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's just, uh, we're trying to, we're trying to get more consistency. Yeah. And then again, it goes back to the adjustments you make. Now I've seen it where they're like, yeah, 50,000 or it's a $500,000 house. They do a 10% swing. You really should go back to the data and see what is the marketable difference. So a home that hasn't had carpet, uh, the, the typical items that are no, you know, we're going to wear out. Yeah. You have that home compared with one that has been replaced just those items. What's that difference? If you can quantify it, that's the adjustment between a C4 and a C3. Okay. That's how it should be. Do you guys see, um, I'm sure you do, but is it, let me, maybe it's gotten better. The dip, the quality of builders that we have out there these days, because
on to top of me okay. and put me in the hospital okay. by an organization rhyme with schmucks and schmakers. Okay. All right. So, so when we talk about nice. the quality of I haven't heard that builders, um, has the quality of builders increased in general? Has it gone down in general? Is there a big dichotomy between builders these days? What do you think? Man. So, you know, mm. that's a great question. Loaded question. <laughs> you should you just no put me on the firing line. No, no name. Now here, here's the deal, you know, uh, so DFW and Austin are, are, although they're separate markets, they're very similar also. Um, and a lot of great builders. We have a, a ton of just incredible builders. Uh, every, there's big name people everywhere. Everyone from DR Horton, you know, yep. all the way up to more custom boutique like Jim Scott and Sons. You yep. know, like there's there's a wide gambit. And, yeah. you know, the more custom, the more boutique, the less product that is in the market. Right. The more time, probably the the higher quality material. Right. Whereas, you know. You get like the uh, cheesecake factory of home yes. uh, builders yes. who are just pumping out, you know, all day, yeah. every Trying day. Trying to get them out. The yep. same 50 item. Yep. You can items, see a straight right? line, but you're like, man, they put like an inch of caulk here to do the gap, you know, yes. between so, the base, but you're just like. There's Whoa. absolutely a difference between the entry level home, you know, yes. uh, than those custom builders. Yes. I mean, just absolutely. Yes. And, like anything else. And so what, what I didn't know when I got into the business, you know, I had no idea. I remember shopping for homes and. um. Uh, start seeing patterns across different ones. And so when you're shopping, just, you know, don't, don't buy the first thing you see, yeah. you know, like if you really want to understand quality, man, go into some of these subdivisions also when they're being built yeah. and just walk the properties. Well, I've always told buyers that I'm talking to when they go to new builds, you know, because like, oh, well, it's a new build. I don't need an inspection. I'm like, no, 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 no you, no, you, no, you, you do. absolutely do because, no, do. because yes, you might be buying from, xyz builder not to put a name on anybody but you might be buying from this builder but that builder is not their that person that runs that company is not there building your home yes. odds are there is some kind of subcontractor yes. who's subcontracted yes. somebody else yes who's there that's not his house he doesn't give a damn yeah. about what hopefully it looks like sober he's yes hopefully sober he's just trying to get through the job right so to think that oh well it's a brand new build it should be in great shape it's like no i mean I, you've, we've all seen the videos now especially on social media where i think Storm there's one comes through and where the guy's like pushing on the the, <laughs> the oh. fascia on the front of the garage and it's just like wiggling <laughs> Uh, you're like that's not safe yeah. so you know it's just because it's new doesn't mean the quality is great you got to get that stuff checked out so absolutely and honestly there there's one builder and i love their homes are beautiful um from the outside yeah the inside oh man the quality is a little different it is yeah yeah it's kind of like uh getting married and finding out something on the back end mm. where you're like oh Whoa. you tricked me we didn't live together we're first we should have figured that out the old stuck in this thing switch. for a long time the old one last thing before we wrap up too, because we're almost we're all already in over an hour here. But um, taxes, everybody loves taxes. Mm -hmm. So obviously, um, when you when t when we talk about property taxes, property taxes are based off the value of the home. Okay, um, allegedly, allegedly. So there is a difference in most cases between the market value for what you can sell your home versus what the county is going to tax you on on the on the uh, uh, the assessed value. So from an appraiser's point of view. A, do you know much about how they assess the properties? I'm curious myself if they have their own internal appraisals from the county. Do they just go through the MLS and look and see what houses sold for? Or is there a process to it? And then B, um, you know, do they ever get outside appraisers involved in that process to, uh, you know, to, to try to assess it or at a, whatever level they think is necessary for that area? I can only speak in our area, okay? I know, let's say we, you know, 
most counties do not have a robust tax assessor uh, team. Right. Okay. Right. These are government funded. Correct. They're using technology. Okay. 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 So most of these things are all run through uh, algorithms, programs, software yeah. that they have to they calculate. And then they have reviewers and, yep. okay. on the back end. Okay. okay. Um, they do uh, put build in percentages of failure rates of knowing that there will be disputes. That is very widely known. Yep. Um, and so it's kind of one of those things where, you know, effort and reward. And so they're going to push those out knowing that some people are going to fight for them. Right. Um, now you can hire an appraiser to help you get a value on your home. Right. But I'll be honest, um, unless they specifically work in helping people, um, reduce their value. If they've are, if they, there are actual organizations out there who, who partner with you and help you dispute the charges formally. Yes. yes. Okay. I, I, I mean, I get their mailers all the time. Year. And yeah. appraisers are not those year. people. Appraisers no. are not those people. No, they're usually people that used to work in the office that worked with all those people. Exactly it's it's right. very much, I mean, I tell buyers all the time, it's a good old boy network. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the guy that you're paying the 500 bucks to to argue your appraisal is going to be way more successful than you spending six and a half hours Absolutely. and filling out a form and going to stand in the courthouse. It's not going to work. Okay. It's not going to work. You pay the guy 500. He goes and talks to his best friend that he's known for 20 mm -hmm. years. That's in the office and says, Hey, I need you to get this one fixed for me. They take care of it and boom, your value's less. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, this year already, you know, I've had a couple of buddies hit me up there. Hey, Josh, man, will you pull some comps for me? You know, and I'm like, well, I'm a kind guy. So you owe me some nice cigars, but for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I have a curmudgeon, not Chris, but one of our other guys pulled the numbers for me. And needless to say, it's, it's always, always it's yeah. yeah. I'm like, you don't want us putting the value on it, yeah. bro. I no. mean, yeah, especially right now. No. Now here's the thing too. Like if, if you get your assessed value and it is astron, well, first off, they're going to take, Hey, what did you pay for the home? Yeah. Now here's the thing. Like say that's not the case and say there was like when you bought the home, uh, one of our appraisers that we have when they bought their home, they were like over tax. I think it was like 150, 200,000 bucks. And their house when they bought it, Allen, really beautiful area, like zip code. I mean, everything was in line. Their house was trashed. Oh, I yeah. mean, it was, I yeah. remember yep. walking through it. There was like a blue light. I mean, I was like. A lot of deferred maintenance. Oh, my gosh. But so like. Yeah, just because you have money didn't mean you have class. Exactly. <laughs> I was oh, like, you preaching Mike Mills 2020, yes, 2024. That should be your tagline. <laughs> so anyways, um, in that case, um, that would make sense. Like an yeah. appraiser could step in because it's like, yeah, I could help you get comps. You know, like there's, but everything else, not right now. Yeah. Like it, it's, uh, yeah, I could say, you know, I could, we could send out, we joked about that. Yeah, we could send out all these mailers and just appraise all these houses. You're not going to get what you're looking for. Ultimately, you're looking to get a lower tax. Right. If it, if it seals the nail in the coffin, I mean, so I got my assessment and it came in and I left it on the counter. My wife saw it. She was like, baby, baby, what do we do? What do we do? And I said, you we don't do nothing because that thing it? says it's lower than what we really at. So yes. we're just going to take the L. We're good. You take make them it. think we took the L yeah. on this. Yes. We're good to go, baby. Yes. Yeah. Well, hopefully there is, I haven't, uh, updated myself recently on how it went through, but in, in the Texas legislature, there is some stuff being put through. I believe it got through the Senate, but it's going to be a little different getting through the house because they have yeah. different ideals on how they should affect this stuff. But they are trying to um, reduce the amount that they can raise the appraised value when it's your oh, home. It's so per year, because right now I think the cap is 10% that they can't raise the assessed value when you live in your home because you don't want to be priced out you of get it. that homestead exempt. Right. Exempt. Um, well, that doesn't necessarily, that's not the homestead exemption necessarily. What it is, is if you own, so this happens all the time to people. 
They buy their home and the person that they're buying it from has owned it for 15 years. And the assessed oh, value I know. I know. was whatever, 200 grand. And they bought it for four, right? Yeah. Well, that first year, Guess they get to carry that yeah, 200,000, yeah. right? Yeah. But then within, uh, usually because it's the government, yep. 12 yep. to 18 months, they're going to come in and reassess it. And now their property taxes shut up because they can raise it. The county can raise it to whatever level they want once. Then after that, then they're capped. If, if you live there, if you don't live there and it's an investment, they can raise it however much they want. But if you live there, they're capped at ten percent. Well, the the state legislature is trying to bring that down, I believe, to five percent. So they can, or maybe three and a half. They can't raise it beyond that. The other thing that they are doing is they are increasing the homestead uh, exemption amount um, and some of the other uh, like the disability over sixty five. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to help a little bit with those exemptions as well to try to mitigate you know some of the higher you know because our market's just gone ridiculous you know since twenty twenty and we've seen firsthand. I mean that it's stressful. Oh, on yeah. families. Yes. You're it, like, hey, like my escrow, like when someone's having like their payment and they're like, it goes up like $100, $200. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, they no. go up five no, and no. six. Yeah. When I, when I'm being conservative, but oh, like. They left my, the, so I live in a, in a mud. Okay. And when they did my loan, that did not get factored in. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I was a new construction oh, yeah. house. So the first year I already knew that like one of my taxes came next year, I was already going to have to yes, owe a significant jump, right? Approve, yeah. So then I got that. Then the next year, the then they tax. hit me with the mud and I was like, what are you freaking dude? I about, I almost had a heart attack it in the office. Yeah. I loved it. Well, what's really, what really sucks. Cause a lot of the servicing banks don't do a very good job of, of, and, and the builders and everybody, they don't, it's just the explanations of stuff. They don't educate people on how it works. Again, plug for yes. local lenders it's, who know what they're sucks. doing. But what happens is, is let's say your taxes go up, uh, uh, $1,200. Okay. For the year. Right. Well, and if, they, if that's it, then you're really lucky. Um, but it went up a hundred, right? So you, your escrow was short a hundred dollars exactly. for every month. But not only do you have to make up for the shortage, yeah. now you have yeah, to collect for what's going it. forward. Yeah. Yep. So not only did your payment go up a hundred dollars because your taxes went up, but it went two hundred dollars because you had to make up for the for what was there before. So people, I get calls all the time, friends, family, whatever. My payment just went up eight hundred dollars, and I'm like, well, the good news is, is it's only going to go up four hundred dollars after next year. Yeah. But right now, yes, that sucks. Unless exactly you catch right. up for what the yep. arrears are. Unless you got the cash. And Unless you got around, the cash. But they don't out. even, yeah. the servicing banks don't even tell. They just send them the bill like, here's your new payment. and the, Or, you know what? I, I take that back. They do send out stuff. But unfortunately, people don't read their mail very often. They're like, oh, it's just going to throw it away. But, but you do see that stuff come across. But when someone buys their house and they've owned it for 12 months and, you know, their payment, especially it happens with builders all the time, all the time. Uh, especially when they use the builder's lender, when they don't, mm. they get that payment that's 1900 bucks. And then within 12 months, all of a sudden it's $2,600 or 20. And they're like, what happened? It's like, well, your taxes before, did you see where you said your escrow taxes were a hundred dollars a month? Yeah. That's not, you bought a $600,000 house. That's not yeah. what it's going to be. So, but it happens. It happens all the time and it's a shame, but you know, people get mired in that stuff and their, um, their mortgage payments, because that is the biggest most for most people that's the biggest monthly expense yeah. that you put out on a, on a on a monthly basis and when you have a fixed salary that you make yeah. and you know i'm fortunate i have commissions i just go work a little harder but most people can't do that think about that yeah like salary like it's like man i got a two two percent increase yeah does what yeah, yeah. Like, what, what like what you're are not you even with inflation, inflation now. Yeah, yeah you yeah, haven't yeah. even kept up yeah. with inflation nope dude and it's your livelihood you know at the end of the day we're just dealing with everybody's families. Yes. Everybody has a family That's member. That's what you can't lose sight of. And behind every transaction is a person. That person has family. Yep. Right? And yep. so we we really work hard at trying to remember that. 
because so much of what we do is just numbers and data and analytics and yep. it's real easy to just start looking at every you know assignment as math yeah right yeah. oh 100 appraisals went out you know these these three or something like that's still three families yes you know yep. and i'm just saying like no, we it, exhaust it, it, every resource and like if if three didn't get to the finish line i can sleep well at night knowing like it was either priced yeah not online align right. with what comps would support or like there's something else going yep. on here but that's not on me yeah well i i appreciate you guys i i love the you know the the culture that y'all have built within your company because it sounds like you carry a lot of the core values that you know a lot of the companies that we work with do as well where we all we're all working together we yeah. all the oh, goal sure. is like you said to get it across the finish line we're yeah. just trying to get to the end nobody's trying to throw wrenches in deals nobody's trying to get people to not get mm -hmm. their homes nobody's trying to get agents to not get paid we're all trying to get across the finish line and if the more people that just work together mm -hmm. and we try to you you align yourself with partners that have of the same mindset and you're not dealing with somebody that is obstinate and doesn't want to exactly. help and, and just well this is what i got you got to deal with it then oh, yeah. then you're always going to get a better result not every single time because mm -mm. there's always outliers problems come up things get messed up it's what happens and i don't mean by by the the people that you work with i just mean the nature of the yeah, transaction absolutely mm -hmm. that's just what happens oh so. our people will make mistakes oh yeah sure yeah. with the human i mean beings. that's the thing it's like yeah. no i expect there to be mistakes yeah. it's how do you react to that and yeah. how do you learn yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you guys have built a, a great culture and, and I really, really appreciate y'all coming and trekking sure. all the way out here to come see me and talk through all this stuff. You know, um, anybody that's not in real estate appraisal stuff is boring, you know, it, lending <laughs> stuff. I, I tell people all the time, like I talk about mortgages often, but I don't talk about mortgages all the time because mm -hmm. nothing's more boring than numbers and metrics yep. and data. Like you said, it's like, if you want to go to sleep, mm. you can read the bottom of those, uh, yeah. the, uh addendums. the addendums. Yeah. Nobody's interested in that. So, but, uh, but I appreciate you guys. This has been great. Um, I definitely will have you back sometime because, sure. um, every quarter or so, you know, the more questions on appraisals come up, more yep. questions on appraisal. We deal with them all the time. So yeah. Anything shame, I want to say before you go, man, just shameless plug. You know, if you ever got questions about appraisals, sometimes, you know, maybe you got an appraisal and you just have a question on it. And we didn't even do it. You know, it's yeah. not one of ours. Orders at WPAppraisers.com. Hit yeah. us up, WPAppraisers.com. Love that. Uh, even here, Joshua at WPAppraisers.com. Yeah. You can email me directly and flood my inbox. Russian bots are probably going to do that now. So <laughs> thanks a lot. Um, and you do a ton on LinkedIn. So um, if you guys are ever uh, want to find Josh, he's there all the time. That's how I found you myself. Touché, touché. So yes, so you do a great job uh, getting information out there and I appreciate you guys so much. So um, that's it for today and we will be back next week. So, Mike Mills 2024. Yeah. <laughs> Got my love. Yeah, right. <laughs> appreciate it. All right, see y'all.